Well, welcome back to what we hope will be my last uh, sermon in this format, uh, Lord willing, hopefully for a while at least, as we plan on meeting back together next weekend for uh, our first uh, services, worshiping together at New Hope uh, in what will be 14 weeks uh, next Saturday when we get back together. So um, we are very much looking forward to that opportunity to finally see one another and to worship together as God's people. want to encourage you, if you have not received the email that went out uh, this past week concerning our guidelines for meeting together, uh, please reach out uh, to myself or to Allison Schmucker uh, and uh, ask us to send that to you again. Um, has some very important information concerning our services, what to expect, how you can prepare, and uh, we are just uh, so thrilled to finally have the opportunity to be able to meet together in person. And again, if you are not um, comfortable in uh, joining us uh, physically for worship, we'll still be offering uh, the services online. Uh, I imagine that the sermons will be recorded uh, during the actual services, but they will be uh, available each uh, Sunday for you to watch as uh, uh, until you are uh, in a place where you are comfortable joining back with us for worship. If you have any questions, please reach out this week. I, I know many of you are uh, very much as I am looking forward to seeing one another. Uh, on a personal note, I just want to thank everyone for your uh, uh, who has taken the time to fill out the surveys. We received uh, uh, a whole lot uh, of responses and the uh, a whole lot of encouraging responses. Uh, one of the most encouraging for me personally as a pastor was the number of you who have been faithfully uh, tuning in each week and watching the, uh, the video messages and the worship and the Sunday school lessons. Uh, it was just uh, really did my heart good to to know uh, that you're being faithful in this time where it would be very easy to, uh, to, to let something like this fall by the wayside. So uh, great job on that. And I know it is not easy to sit and uh, watch someone uh, preach in the format that I'm ha I've had to do over the past uh, 13 weeks. And um, you have continued to do so faithfully, and I, I really appreciate that. Um, this morning, we continue our study of 2 Corinthians, and we are in chapter 10. Uh, last week, we looked at verses 1 through uh, 6, where Paul is really shifting gears from uh, teaching primarily uh, to the, the, the faithful body of believers in Corinth uh, to beginning to really focus on calling out um, the false apostles, their term, uh, who were present, had come in and infiltrated the church and were uh, in the process of dividing it and weakening it. Weakening it weakening it with their false teaching. And so uh, Paul, while still exhorting the church to action, begins to really draw a clear line between what is true and false as it relates to uh, the false teachers and their teaching and even their character versus uh, his teaching and, and what his companions had taught. And basically, it really is a, a, a comparison between what can be relied upon and that which is dangerous to the church and really is even though it's a very uh, uh, 
personal in nature as Paul is dealing with personal issues that, that were going on there in the church. It is a very timely passage for us today as we uh, live in a time where the church is uh, saturated with false teachers, uh, with the uh, ability to podcast. We, we have a lot of great opportunities to, to stay in contact as a church, but that also provides a lot of opportunities for false teaching and unhealthy um, doctrines to get out and infiltrate the church as well. And so it's an, it falls on us as the body of Christ to be on guard. We saw that last week uh, in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 10, that the health of the church uh, really is dependent on the church uh, not allowing unsound doctrine to go unchallenged in its midst. Um, I want to begin by reading First uh, Corinthians or excuse me, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verses 7 through 18, then I'll pray and then we'll jump right in. And uh, I have been trying unsuccessfully to, uh, to, to shorten the length of the messages because we're going to have to do so when we meet together just to be safe. We, we don't want to be uh, combined for super uh, long amounts of time together um, inside the church building. And so uh, I'm going to try again today, and, and Lord willing, we'll have some success. But uh, listen uh, well and closely to these important words from the Apostle Paul and ultimately from the Lord himself. The Apostle Paul writes, Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast on, only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us, to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others. But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. So that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the, Lord, but the one whom the Lord commends. Let us pray together. Lord, I thank you uh, so much uh, again for the technology that we have to be able to uh, to have resources to help us worship and to be fed as the church, even as we are apart. Lord, we praise you uh, in anticipation of uh, next weekend when we are able to begin to meet together uh, on a limited basis, Lord. Uh, and I pray that uh, 
Lord, you would keep us safe. I pray, Lord, that uh, in the meantime, as we await that time together, Lord, that you would help us to be faithful. There are, are many things that, that each of us are, are called to do in this coming week as we anticipate uh, next weekend. And Lord, we want to be faithful every step of the way while we long uh, for the physical fellowship that uh, awaits us as your church. Lord, help us also to be mindful of the doors of opportunity that you are opening up to us each and every day to testify of your love and your mercy, to testify of, of, of your grace that you offer to all who will respond in faith to the gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, help me uh, to, to preach uh, well this message that is set before us, Lord, and, and use it uh, for our good and for the strength of your church. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I mentioned when starting off uh, that passages like this really separate the true from the false, you know, what is what is real from the counterfeit. And and I want to start by, by, by just sharing a, a silly illustration, but it's one that we can all relate to. Um, and that's this uh, the, the the contrast between cubic zirconium and real diamonds. Uh, I remember as a as a young man watching TV, uh, and I don't know if that was when cubic zirconia was was first discovered or or, or was created, um, but uh, I remember commercials where uh, you would see on TV these. Um, really nice looking rings and earrings that looked like diamond rings and, and diamond earrings, but the price was what was much, much cheaper, sometimes not even a, a tenth of the cost of, of a diamond ring that would look exactly the same to, to untrained eyes. Um, you, you could buy one of these cubic zirconia uh, diamond ring or rings. It wouldn't be diamond, obviously. Uh, in fact, I did a little research today, and, and you can get a 5-millimeter cubic zirconia stone for about $10.80 on the internet, $10.80. And a similar-sized diamond, a real diamond, same shape and size, is about $242. And that's, that's, a, that, that's a big difference, right? Well, there's a difference because there's a difference in the quality, right? One is a, is a created stone that has been cut to, to, to look like a diamond, while the other is a precious stone uh, that is mined and then shaped and then placed into various uh, settings to, to make jewelry. One is real, one is fake, and... The one that is real is the one that has true value. Now, I could, uh, you know, if I had a, a, a manly uh, ring that, that had cubic zirconia on it, maybe most of you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. And if I wore it around, you would think, wow, Sam looks really dumb with a diamond ring on his hand. But, but also you'd think, wow, that probably cost a lot of money. And, and, and some people could be fooled by it. Uh, but if I ever wanted to, to take it somewhere to have it appraised, it would take no time at all for the person to, the jeweler to look at it and say, yeah, pal, this is worthless. But, but that same ring with an actual diamond in it would, would be of, of great 
value because it is real. It is genuine. And this same idea is is true as we consider the treasure that is God's word, the treasure that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are many counterfeits out there that in some ways may resemble the gospel or even contain elements of the gospel. But because they are it's perverted in key points, it becomes counterfeit, false. It has no value to to truly help those who so desperately need the real thing. Paul recognizes this is the case as it relates to the the false teachers, the false apostles that had infiltrated Corinth. And and so Paul writes uh, chapter 10 and really uh, chapters 11, 12, and and the beginning of 13 to begin to to draw this clear line between the truth of the doctrine that that, that he promoted and and the truth of his ministry with the, 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 the falsehood of the false teachers and what they taught because the health of the church was at stake. Today, Paul deals with one aspect or one test of of genuineness of the faith, and that's the test of of confidence that is grounded in reality. And, And so, Paul writes about the confidence here in in, in verses uh, 7 through 18 that the false teachers had, and he contrasts that with with the confidence that he and his associates has. And and we see as we look at these passages that that the confidence that the false teachers had was, was was a confidence that was grounded in nothing. That they had really nothing to be confident in. And Paul begins to expose that in, in separating the truth of, uh, of his ministry with, with the falsehood of theirs. And so this morning, as we continue, consider these verses, we're going to do so under three headings. First of all, we're going to look at the claim of confidence. Secondly, we're going to consider with the false teachers the problem of misplaced confidence And then finally, we're going to consider quickly the source of true confidence here from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 7 through 18. So let's look first at verses 7 and 8, the claim of confidence. Uh, Paul begins by saying, look at what is before your eyes. Now, in verses 7 through 18, we we find the beginnings of Paul's contrast of of he and his associates' ministry with that of the false apostles. And with that phrase, look, it's clear uh, in Paul's mind that it should be obvious that there is a difference between Paul, a true apostle, and those false apostles that had infiltrated the church. And what follows is this clear contrast between the lives and the ministries that honor God versus those that are grounded in worldly principles. When Paul says, look at what is before your eyes, he's saying, listen, it is right in front of your face. Pay attention, Corinthians. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, Paul begins by addressing this claim of the false teachers that they were in Christ. They they came claiming to be apostles, ministers of Christ. 
but but they did not bring peace but division to the church. We we actually saw this way back in our study of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, Paul is dealing with the divisions that existed within the church. Do, do you remember that? People were aligning themselves with different teachers. Let, let me just read it to you real quickly uh, by way of a refresher. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or... I follow Christ. You, you catch that? I, I think that the division, the divisions here were the influence of the false teachers, especially the I follow Christ crowd. Now, when we studied the, the life of Paul a couple of years ago, we saw that literally everywhere Paul went and, and preached the gospel and established the church, he, he was followed by people who crept into the church bringing false teacher, teaching. Whether it was the Judaizers or, or, or some other viewpoint, it seemed there was always someone not far behind, once Paul left the city, who came in to, to, to seek to bring false teaching into the Church, these, were, these people were tools of Satan. They were designed to destroy the church. And in the case of the church in Corinth, these teachers were allowed in simply by claiming to be sent from God and on the commendation of other false teachers. Paul points out that he and the other true apostles could make the same claim that they too were of Christ. But, but their claim was accompanied by God's authority. So Paul's saying, listen, you, you've allowed these teachers in who simply say that, that I am of Christ. And Paul says, well, they're attacking us and we make the same claim. We're of Christ too. But Paul says, listen, my, my claim is more than just based on my own words. But verse 8, for even if I boast a little too much of our authority, Paul's saying, my, my claim is based on God's authority. Paul's not bragging sinfully, but proclaiming what God has done. Paul had authority in the church because the Lord gave it for building them up, not to destroy them. Verse 8. Everything Paul wrote and did for the Corinthians was for their good. Even his severe letter confronting their sin Paul made it clear he loved the Corinthians and he was unashamed of how he had exercised the authority that had been given to him by God. And really the, the takeaway from, uh, from this point is simple. Not every teacher or leader who claims to be sound or even saved is actually sound or Saved. That, this is a warning that we need to heed as the church today, brothers and sisters. It's not simply enough to, to take a, a teacher at their word saying that they've been called by God. They need to be tested. Their teaching needs to be weighed by what the Bible actually says. It needs to be shown to be true. 
Paul goes on to say that my, my goal is not to frighten you, but, but, but to warn and to call you to action against these cancerous false teachers. And in that, we see in verses 9 through 12, the problem of misplaced confidence. Paul writes, I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. In this section, Paul deals with the words and deeds of the false apostles. And as we've dealt with the letters of 1 and 2 Corinthians, we've gotten a pretty good idea of, of some of the overriding themes of the teaching of these false teachers. And really, as you look at it, it is centered primarily on the fleshly appetites of the Corinthians. The, the false apostles basically valued the same types of things that the culture that the church was found in valued as well. And we see this in verse 10. Paul writes, quoting the, the false apostles, For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Now, we established early on that uh, the Greek and Roman cultures valued physical beauty. They, 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 they wanted uh, people who were uh, important or, or, or significant, had great physiques. They were in good shape. They were easy on the eyes. And they also valued rhetorical skill. And, and apparently, Paul wasn't much to look at by Greek or Roman standards, and in their minds, his oratory skills didn't meet their standards either. Now, whether or not this was actually true is not really the case, because Paul is quoting the actual charge that was brought against him. I imagine Paul was quite the skilled preacher, but we do know he was very humble in his approach. It was his goal not to do anything that would distract from the importance of the gospel that he proclaimed. But, but these, the, these false teachers accused him of being unskilled because he did not speak in the same way that the philosophers of that day spoke. Brothers and sisters, the nature of false teachers now and then is that they are often preoccupied with worldly things even as they try to cover it with a spiritual veneer. Now, I had a friend in college who was from Zimbabwe and, and she was a trip. Uh, she, she was hilarious. Uh, she actually brought a unique souvenir from home with her when she came to school. And, and I'm not trying to be crass here, but I think it really illustrates uh, perfectly what false teaching is. She brought from Zimbabwe a pile of elephant dung, poop, that had been preserved in some type of lacquer. And so here she had a, she used it as a doorstop, but it was a giant piece of elephant dung. And it was shiny. It was kind of an interesting, funny conversation piece. 
But in the end, it was just poop. That's all it was. And the same is true for false teachers and the spiritual waste that they teach. It may look shiny in some ways. It may have an attraction for some. But at the end of the day, when you boil it down to its content and what it offers, it is worthless. It is waste. It is poop. And in verse 11, Paul warns that when he is present with these false teachers, he fully intends on dealing with them personally. And we must remember that false teaching is something that must be dealt with in and by the church. We simply cannot stand for it. In verse 12, Paul continues and and begins to deal with the dishonesty and and ignorance of the false teachers. Verse 12, he writes, Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Now, Paul is making it clear that, that... It's not his goal to build his own credibility and the credibility of his ministry on the the basis of the fact that the false teachers had no real credibility. That's not his goal here at all. But, but he wants to point out that the commending and measuring and the comparing uh, by the done by the, the, the false teachers was, was done by one another and with one another. Their, their confidence that they, that they boasted in was simply found on a horizontal scale. It wasn't grounded in any objective reality, but, but the false teachers, as false teachers often do, would gravitate towards one another. The letters of condemnation or uh, commendation that they wrote in order to be accepted by churches were written by one another. And that's, that's the nature of, of what false teachers do. There are, are many movements in the contemporary church where you see just this very thing. You see false teachers that will join together to, 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 to endorse one another's books or to share a stage to, to, to promote their false teaching. They repeat the same phrases and, and it's become big business. But when they are confronted by someone who teaches sound doctrine, it exposes them for what they really are, which is counterfeits. And so Paul makes it clear, listen, we're not comparing or contrasting ourselves with them. There is a a different source of our confidence. And the source of that true confidence we see in verses 13 through 18. Paul continues, but we will not boast beyond limits, but we'll boast only with regard to the area of influence God has assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labor of others. But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you might be greatly enlarged. So that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. 
Now, I'm going to go quickly through this last point because we see Paul uh, really fleshing this out further as we continue to work through the rest of 2 Corinthians. But I want to hit each verse and just point out different areas of confidence that Paul is pointing to uh, for he and uh, and the true apostles and his companions. In verse 13, we, we see that Paul had confidence in the ministry that God had given to him. He says, we're not going to boast beyond limits, but we're going to boast only in regard to, to the area of influence that God has assigned to us to reach even to, do, to you. Paul's saying, listen, God brought us here to you. The, the evidence of our confidence in God is the fact that God is the one who assigned us this ministry. They didn't show up on the scene uh, like the false teachers did, trying to build on a foundation that had already been laid. No, Paul came personally because God had commissioned him to take the gospel to the Gentiles. In verse 14, we see that uh, Paul's confidence wasn't just in the ministry in general that God had called him to, but specifically in God's work among, amongst the Corinthians. Paul says, for we are not overextending ourselves or or reaching for something that is beyond our grasp as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. Had Paul not come, then the Corinthians would still be in their sins. The fact that the Corinthians had responded to the gospel and a church existed there gave Paul confidence in the validity of his ministry because God was building his church through the preaching of the gospel. In verse 15, we see that Paul had confidence that the Corinthians would have the proper response to his correction in doing the right thing, that this would be the proof of their faith. Paul says, we do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you might be maybe greatly enlarged. In other words, he's saying, listen, our expectation is that when I arrive and I deal with these false teachers, that you all, you faithful Christians are going to rise to the occasion so, so that you are even stronger as a church and even more built up so that verse 16 that God would open up more opportunities to take the gospel to new places. Verse 16 says, So that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Paul says, listen, we, we, we want to come, we want to care from you for you, but when we are done in Corinth, we want to go beyond you to take the gospel to where it has not gone before. We want to see the church built up. He, Paul again and again references not building on someone else's area of influence or laboring in someone's area of influence. He doesn't want to take the gospel where it already was because where the gospel has already established the church, the church should be the light of the gospel to the world. Paul wanted the gospel to go to where it had never been proclaimed. In verse 17, we see that Paul had confidence that the Lord would be glorified in his ministry. He says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He he wanted to see God receive the glory and the honor for all that was accomplished. And then finally, in verse 18, we see that Paul's 
confidence was in the Lord's approval being given to him rather than men. Men's approval. Verse 18 says, For it is not the one who commends himself, the false teachers, who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. That word commends means to be established or, or brought into existence. Paul understood that, that all the fruit of his ministry, every good thing that had happened in the context of that ministry was the result of God's hand at work. God is the one who converts sinners. Paul recognized that his job was to proclaim the truth of the gospel and allow the Spirit to do his work. So Paul had true confidence, and, and, he had, uh, and it was a true confidence, really, that it was rooted in the work of God. The, the work of God in, in his calling, the work of God in the, his ministry, the, the work of God in, in, the, in the reality that God was being glorified, the work of God in opening up new doors of ministry. So confidence is a good thing. We all believers should have confidence, but it needs to be a confidence not as the false teachers had that was rooted in worldly things, but it must be a confidence that is grounded in the nature of who God is and what he is doing. And this is true not just as it relates to false teaching, but, but it's true in times like the one we live in now. So much uncertainty. We, this virus that, that, that we've been dealing with for months now, quarantine and finally getting back together and all the uncertainties that, that, that surround that. And God calls us time and again to be confident in him. There is nothing that we are going to encounter as we seek to be faithful to him, whether it be in the proclaiming of his truth or, or even in our efforts to, to, to minister together and to worship together as a church. Nothing that we're going to encounter that is outside of his knowledge or his control. And like Paul, we must be confident in the character and nature of God. So as I close, I close with this question. As it relates to our faith and our, and our confidence in God, are we more like cubic zirconia or are we like a diamond? Is it a counterfeit faith or is it genuine? Is it worthless or is it of the greatest value because we have been reconciled to God? What about the teachers that we listen to? Are, are they teachers that are cherry-picking verses in order to, 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 to give a message that appeals to our worldly sinful appetites? Or are we, be, are we being challenged from the whole counsel of God to love God and, and to be more faithful to Him and to one another as His people? Do we love the Lord more than we love the, the temporary pleasures of, of sin in this life? Those are questions that we must answer, brothers and sisters, if we are to be faithful. I look forward to the next time being recorded, being back behind the pulpit. I, I pray that uh, you are looking forward to that as well. But until then, Lord, I, I, I pray that the Lord would would. would would strengthen each of us to, to be faithful during such a time as this. Let's pray together. 
Lord, I do pray that uh, for all who hear this message, Lord, as we consider the genuineness of our own faith before you and, and whether or not we should even have confidence before a holy God, Lord, I pray that your spirit would be at work. Lord, for those who genuinely believe, Lord, may we find comfort and confidence in you. And Lord, for, for those that have believed a lie or whose faith is insincere, Lord, I pray you would strip away all forms of false confidence, uh, Lord, until they turn in faith and repentance uh, in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Be glorified in our lives, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.